Yahoo announced a security breach affecting upwards of 1 billion user accounts. Cyber attack leaves 145 million eBay users at risk. Target announced up to 110 million customers may have had their identity and financial information compromised. Cyber security breach at Equifax could affect 143 million American consumers. And now your host, Nexus IT Group. Welcome back to another episode of Hacked into the Minds of Cybersecurity Leaders, brought to you by Nexus IT Security Group. We have a little different flavor today. We're going to be chatting with Recruitment Manager for Duo Security, an Ann Arbor, Michigan, and Austin, Texas-based security product company focused on secure access. Travis Baker, welcome on. Thanks so much. Yeah, great. Excited to, to chat with you. So, you know, so listeners know Duo has been experiencing hyper growth recently and they've hired over 200 employees since last March. Such a competitive space. Yeah, it's no small task. So we're going to get insight into how Travis's team has been so successful in attracting so many professionals to, the, to his company how they've helped individuals from entry level and beyond to get a foot in the door in security. And we're also going to chat about you know, how to have successful relationships between the hiring teams and talent acquisition partners and why culture will help define a company's ability to attract exceptional employees. Nexus IT Security Group, you know, we play in a very similar space. We're on the you know agency vendor side of talent acquisition. So we should have some good banter back and forth from both sides of the coin and uh, you know, share valuable insights of what we've seen in the security hiring space. So really excited to chat with you, Travis. You know, let's break down some of the old hiring methodologies, share with the industry why, why and how you know, a new modern technique is going to help them be much more successful in their hiring. So you know, first off, let's get things kicked off by learning a little bit more about Duo and your time you know, leading the talent acquisition practice You're for them. Yeah, for sure. I started with Duo actually in October. Duo has, is kind of well known for multi-factor authentication, but it's much broader than that. Um, and a lot of kind of our language is we talk about how we're democratizing security, making it easy and accessible for everybody. And I think anybody in the security space knows that it's it's not always the most approachable topic or the most approachable um, products out there. And a lot of times you end up having to have, you know, a whole suite of different offerings just to kind of cover the bases. Um, and so we're trying to make that a lot easier for everybody. Uh, and we're also moving towards uh, more of the beyond core model, zero trust, that kind of stuff. So I've, like I said, I've been here uh, since October, and one of the most exciting things, one of the reasons I came over here was because uh, of the culture. Obviously, the high growth is really exciting, or a unicorn, all that kind of stuff. That's that's all, that's the flashy stuff. But um, ultimately, I came because I think I think we're doing things differently. I think we operate as a business differently. We're people centric, and uh, I think that really matters. So, anyways, that's a little bit about a, a duo and, and myself. One thing that uh, you know, really attracted me to Duo and having you know, spoke with individuals that up and in, in, uh, you moved on to Duo, one of the things that I've heard over and over again is how willing Duo is to look at non-traditional talent or you know, assist people in um, you know, getting into the security profession. So can you talk a little bit more about why that's been so impactful and assisted in um, you know, getting Duo to where they are today? I know we're going to talk about culture later too, but but I think it, it's kind of relevant to this. We we look for cultural additions, so not culture fits, but culture additives. 
is, is something that we, we talk about a lot, which kind of plays into how we approach our hiring more generally. So if you hire folks who have a long history within security, and it's important to have that domain knowledge too, don't, don't get me wrong, but a lot of times you get very similar thought. And when we talk about diversity, we talk about diversity of lived experience. We talk about diversity of perspective as, as equally important to kind of the more traditional ways that, that a lot of companies look at diversity. And part of the reason is we want to hire people who, who are looking at a problem from a different angle. So when we look to hire uh, engineers or other folks in any part, part of the organization, we're really looking to see what are those transferable skills. So what are, what are some things that people learned that are trying to allow them to look at a problem from a different angle? And that sort of hiring methodology or hiring thought has allowed us really to approach problems in, in this security space in a very different way. And, and because of that, we end up with different solutions and, and what ultimately we feel are, are better solutions. Yeah. So before we go too, too much deeper down that path, I, I'm curious, what have you defined as roles that require uh, you know, an experience-based hiring methodology versus a, a potential-based hiring method? Yeah. So when we're looking at domain knowledge that we don't have, that's when a lot of times experience matters. But the experience piece is only a part of it because, you know, somebody who's experienced things through somebody else's lens, uh, obviously that doesn't really matter. So you, you need to have both the experience and kind of the talent, the attributes, the potential, right? So the, the combination is really powerful. But a lot of times they're going to be a more senior level role or a leader because it's a domain knowledge that we need to add to the organization that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. You got to have somebody that can can lead that team effectively. So I can certainly understand that there. Now, from a, a hiring manager's perspective, when they're looking at a role or considering if they need specific experience or specific background versus somebody that shares potential. How do you go through that process with the hiring team? And at what point can you make the decision of, hey, we should probably look outside of your classic resume fit for this specific role and look at some different resumes that may have that potential that, that we're looking for? So it's not really a point in time type of um, type of conversation. I think it's an ongoing conversation. So we've we've got people business partners who are responsible for really partnering with the business and looking at uh, kind of the broader workforce planning, some of those elements. So they should be having those conversations. But then once the rec becomes real and is turned over to the recruiting group, we continue that conversation. So a lot of it is if we get those requirements, we sit down, we have that intake conversation where we're really finding out what are the problems that this position is going to solve either for us or for our customers. You know, you start with that conversation and you end up finding out a lot. And you may find out that this this person is a one in a million kind of individual. It's a combination of of a bunch of different specialized skill sets and it doesn't really exist out there. And, And so then the conversation kind of turns into, well, if it doesn't really exist in the market, we have to build it. If this is what we actually need, we have to kind of help develop a person into that type of role. So anyways, the conversation is fluid and it happens throughout the entire kind of life cycle of, of the business um, as we sort of assess what we need from a talent perspective. And I think that's like, you know, that's something that you've got to do. Like you have to keep that conversation going because it can't be a point in time conversation. As you're getting new information, you have to be willing to sort of iterate 
on what you see in the marketplace and all the new information that you're gathering, some of those elements. So, so yeah, it's an ongoing thing. Yeah, absolutely. I certainly understand that. Um, so now let's say it's real, it's, it's open and uh, applications and referrals are, are flooding in. How do you decide based on a resume would fit that mold for you know, having that potential? And of course, without hopping on the phone, without having conversations or meeting with somebody, that culture piece, which is oh so important, is going to be hard to, to understand. But you know, how do you decide who you do and do not want to reach out to when you have opportunities that you know, allow for unique, different backgrounds? Yeah. So we, we've got really close partnership with, with our hiring managers. It's actually the closest partnership I've seen in any organization I've been with. So a lot of times you, you've got hiring managers who are, who are really engaged in looking through folks who have applied. We try not to rely on that, but the more popular we get, the more success we're having, the more terrific applicants we're getting. So our like primary source of hire right now is referrals. We have a ton of inbound referrals and that matters a lot because having background, having people who have worked with somebody before, like that's that's a terrific indicator of of future, you know, future performance. But when it comes to kind of like somebody who is just applying or has interest, we try to break it down to to very simple things. What are the three most important things, the must-haves, and what are the three nice to haves? And if those three things are showing up, if it's, you know, we kind of call it like that 70% sort of match, that thought that you look at this profile and you go, you know what, I think about 70% of, of this profile is what we're looking for. We have the conversation. One of the things we've done, especially at this stage in our business, is we've invested pretty heavily in recruiting resources. So we have a, a sort of disproportionately large recruiting organization for the size of our, our, our business. And I think it's something that separates us because it allows us to have the manpower or people power, I should say, to have more phone calls, more phone conversations, because you don't really get to know somebody until you have those phone conversations. So when it comes to inbound stuff, we, we, definitely, we definitely make sure that we um, sort of over index for having the conversation to really try to discover uh, what's going on. And then in those conversations, the magic is really you know, making sure that we're we're not listening for the keywords, we're not listening for sort of the security language and lingo. We're listening for and asking the right questions to discover whether or not this person has a skill set that can transfer. So it kind of goes back to that transferable skill. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So one thing that you know I hear over and over again, and a lot of the reason why some of our larger clients, you know ask for our assistance when it comes to identifying candidates for their their roles is their you know, job portals are just flooded. They're flooded with everything from, you know, somebody that that is entry level applying for a VP level position to, you know, I, I can't even tell you, you know, I'm sure you've seen them as well, the the amount of uh, you know interesting applications that come through, but there's all also quite a few applications that have that you know sixty seventy percent of what I'm looking for. So, you know, from a hiring manager's perspective, when they're being completely flooded with uh, with resumes of all shapes and sizes, but want to take on some of these new ideas and and hiring your know, potential based talent, what can they do given the situation that they're in? to you'll be a little bit more effective in identifying what's uh, you know, being placed in front of them from a, a candidate uh, application standpoint? Yeah, there are a couple things. I mean, I think one, it's important to recognize the shift in just kind of the industry and how people hire. 
especially in the tech space. The reality is a, a candidate or an applicant or whatever is, is probably a term that we should get rid of because realistically, they approach each potential opportunity more like a consumer. We need to look at recruiting. We need to look at generally as more of a marketing demand gen type of function. Even community management is, is something that I often come back to. So I think the shift that we're going to be seeing is number one, like technology is going to make it easier from an applicant perspective. There's going to be some, there's already technology and it's just going to get better that will actually, you know, automate the uh, kind of the screening of applicants, right? So the time is not going to be spent there. The people resources aren't going to be spent there, which is good because I mean, realistically, like all a person is doing is looking through a profile and trying to match a couple of keywords in their mind, right? So like we can definitely build technology to do that. And that's not a high value type of activity. The high value activity to me is really looking at how you can build a demand gen type of type of program. So how do we attract somebody, engage them in our brand, and then keep them engaged over time? So that time period may be two months, it may be two years, it may be 10 years, it doesn't matter. The reality is we find somebody and we say, this person needs to work at Duo at some point in their career. And how do we engage and keep them, them kind of uh, interested in that potential over the long term? So I think that's the new problem. There are models out there that I think work, you know, demand gen models for, like, I, I think of the, the emails and the brands that I'm highly engaged uh, with. I like to be outdoors. So, you know, REI sends me information and content. I follow them on Instagram. Like, there's all of these kind of ways for me to engage and sort of identify with that brand. And I think we're in that, that situation now in recruiting and talent acquisition where we need to start doing that. And uh, from a hiring manager's perspective, the recruiting group and the talent acquisition group needs to be the demand gen marketing, kind of the community management. But the hiring manager, tip of the spear, somebody who is, is certainly a, a kind of a brand ambassador of it. It's, it's, it's somebody who needs to be comfortable to sell the organization and the opportunities there. And so it's becoming, it's just changing our roles in the hiring, uh, in the hiring space in, in a really interesting way, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, what are some key disciplines or areas, I guess, outside of whatever domain said hiring manager has an expertise in and value that they're bringing to the company from a technical standpoint? What should they be learning in order to do that effectively? Do they need to be going to marketing conferences? Do they need to be engaging in uh, you know, classes that teach them how to market effectively? I guess, what can the shift be? What can a hiring manager do knowing that there's a little bit of a you know, significant shift, I guess, in, in what they're going to need to do in order to be effective in the, the long term? I, I guess, what, what, what are those skills that they need to, uh, to start gaining? Yeah, I, you know, I think, I think they, a lot of times they have the skills. So I, I believe in specialization. I think specialization is, an, you know, an important aspect to how we get more efficient. So when it comes to the real nuts and bolts and and change management and just looking at at how do we shift from where we are now, this very transactional type of type of recruiting model to where we need to be, which is going to be a relationship type of model. The hiring manager needs to be in a position to understand. They don't need to actually implement it or or kind of build the change, but they need to understand why the change is happening and why it's better. 
the beautiful thing about organizations is if you got all these other departments who are experts in other areas, like the resources are there within the organization. There's no need to like go to an outside conference or whatever. Like I think setting up time with somebody in your demand gen group within your marketing group at your organization would be a great use of time. Where hiring managers put value on kind of activity related to hiring. So right now it's very transactional. Like I have a role open. I have a candidate that I need to talk to, you know, that is a, that is valuable time. What's hard right now is to see the value and having those same type of conversations or even more casual conversations when you don't have a rec open. Mm-hmm. If you can shift some of that activity earlier in the process, when a role does open up, you've already got this, you know, this community of people that you've built that you can reach out to. So I think that's the real shift that that needs to happen is this sort of always on type of mentality of I want to meet people and engage with them and talk with them and really try to uh, find and develop relationships with top talent all the time. So that's like the main thing that I think uh, if hiring managers were to make that shift, it would do a lot for their business. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I definitely hear you 100%. Uh, yeah, I can already hear some individuals that I know personally very well that are in that hiring manager seat that just are saying, I, I don't have time for this. And I know that that's a tough answer to that as you know, it is such an important thing to hire effectively. It's just, you know, thought is there are so many different security companies and so many security groups inside of companies that you know, may not have security as the number one priority. So you know, I guess what else can, can some hiring managers do from your perspective that'll allow them to get in front of that top talent effectively, but not take away so much time from their actual day-to-day responsibilities? So I think it's a lot of it is trust your recruiting organization. So as, as recruiting makes this shift, if you think about like how Salesforce and Marketo sort of interact on the sales and marketing side of things where you're able to kind of bring a prospect into sort of a marketing campaign and keep them engaged. It's kind of the same thing. So recruiting as a hiring manager, trust recruiting to go out and develop these relationships with top talent, manage it, keep these folks in campaigns, keep them engaged with content that they care about and allow them to sort of build the initial relationship. So that's recruiting's value is really where kind of social cognition at scale. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think, I think in terms of like the hiring manager, the conversations that they have, we need to value their time. So the conversations that they should have should really be only those like, like really excellent people that we need to stay in touch with. So I think that's like the key is, is if instead of looking at it in terms of, you know, a hiring manager needs to have a conversation with all, let's just say, you know, 50 people that are that are kind of being courted, if you will, by talent acquisition folks, by the recruiter. It's really more along the lines of like, who are the the ones that we agree between the hiring manager and the recruiter, we agree that these 10 people are our highest profile top talent, the people that we really want to stay in touch with and focusing on those. So I think it's, it's, it is more about like being um, much more direct and very specific about what you're looking at rather than kind of trusting or hoping that the hiring manager can keep in touch with 50 people. So trust the recruiting group to kind of build these communities and manage them. And hiring managers should be engaged with, you know, let's just say the top 10% uh, of the talent. 
Yeah. I love the idea of allowing the people that uh, you are there out marketing your brand to, to do what they got to do and then taking a little bit of that away from the hiring manager. So you know, one thing that I also see as being a potential big plus from using this technique is less turn down offers when it actually is time to bring on you know, candidates or bring on an individual to the team if you stayed in front of them and, and continued to keep them engaged. And they've obviously shown deep interest. Have you seen that positive impact? Yeah. I mean, look, it's going back to the analogy of a, of a candidate being kind of a consumer. As a consumer, I mean, think about think about your purchasing decisions. You are more likely to purchase when you have the information that you want, when it's it kind of matches what you need in terms of features, et cetera, right? It's the same with with job. When you're out there looking for for a job or considering a change, the more you know, the more comfort there is, the more uh, you have access to the information that you want, the more you understand that this is this is the right company, this is the right role, this is the right move, this is the right boss, this is the right team, you know some of those other elements, the easier it is to make that decision because you've already made the decision. You've already made the decision that you want to be a part of duo. Now it's just kind of like figuring out how we make that happen. So a hundred percent. Yeah. You, you, when you move some of these, some of these conversations and decision points earlier in the process, it makes it so much easier when you get to the end. Sure. Sure. Of course. Of course. So uh, I'm afraid we've put the uh, cart in front of the horse a little bit early here. So I want to take it back just a step. Cool. There's an obvious challenge with the traditional hiring process insecurity. To mention the biggest problem, there's not nearly as many candidates out there as jobs that we have open. That's just <laughs> where we're at. The salaries are through the roof. It's crazy out there. So let's take it back just a step. Why isn't the traditional format working? Gosh, yeah, I mean, that's it's there's there's so much. I think, you know, this is getting this is getting maybe a little bit too too high level, but I think part of it is like, you know, the burden of developing talent has kind of been passed along to the individual. And so there's not a tremendous thing from whether it's like a, a social investment or company investment or whatever in developing talent. And everybody indexes for senior talent. You know, we need senior level talent. Well, that's a really like, that's a really tight talent pool. And so that's, that's why we're seeing salaries kind of drive uh, through the roof. So it's not working because we're not investing enough in developing people earlier in their career. And that's, I think, if I really boil it down, I think that's it. I think there's just not nearly enough investment in earlier career talent. And that's our fault. That's every, you know, that's every company's fault at this point, in, in my humble opinion. Like, you know, the companies have the resources, they have the domain knowledge, the expertise, and um, we need to do more to kind of share it quite frankly. And sharing it includes like developing talent, internships, apprenticeship type of programs, all of that kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so going even a little bit further, you know, job boards, first place, every single one of us go, everybody's guilty of it. You have a new role, you build yeah. a job description, we're going right to the job board. Personally, from yeah. my perspective and my firm, all of our hires last year, we only had one that came in via a, a job board. From a percentage perspective, that's staggering. So it's not working. It's obviously not working. Why? Why is that? I mean, it's twofold. Uh, you know, for one, in a market where there's so much demand, 
most of the people who are being hired and you can tell, I mean, it's pure economics. So if like, if there's, if the salaries are blowing up, it's because there's tremendous demand. If you are one of those people, you likely do not need to apply to a job because either A, somebody's already reached out to you proactively or B, you know somebody who knows somebody or whatever. You end up being a referral into a, into a place. So a job posting is, I mean, we, you know, the post and pray type of type of mentality is it's kind of tough, but it's also like it's pretty stale, right? Like who who wants to write a job description and post it? Who wants to like read it? Like it, it's it's pretty. I think I don't know the statistics on it, but a, a very low percentage of, of people actually read through the entire job description. They basically see the title and they just, you know, potentially apply. Right. I think the demand for these people in general is kind of why some of the stuff doesn't work, because they're also like if we look at our numbers, applicants are actually a pretty good source of hire for us. Folks who come to to Duo's website, you know, they probably know about us already, but they see something that they're a good fit for for and they apply. We find them through uh, through those means. But I also think we kind of approach it a little bit differently where it's it's more of a job advertisement. So we look at it, again, from a marketing lens. It's an advertisement. It's something that should be interesting. It should be, I say, a little bit sexy. You know what I mean? Like it should, it should be something that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the time, because of the demand, people, people are, are being discovered because they're either being reached out to directly or because they know somebody and they end up being a referral. And I, and I really think that's kind of what's driving why a lot of people don't end up being applicants in this, in this current market. Yeah, absolutely. And that ties into uh, you know, a lot of challenges that you know, we've seen in the, the industry around the job description. You know, when we're posting job descriptions that are all-encompassing, explaining uh, the entire environment that they'll be working in and you know, these different yeah. tools and these practice areas and five plus years in this that hasn't even been around for that long, blah, blah, blah. We can go on and on yet at the core, the hiring team's problem is, Hey, we need somebody that can tune a a SIM tool. That's it. That's, that's what they need. Yet the job description explains their entire environment and what everybody in the group is, is working on. And I mean, it's, it goes across every industry and every company. I don't think anybody is necessarily out of the, the woods on that, but you get the job description and you have that conversation and find out, hey, this is my actual true need, yet three quarter of the job description doesn't share that at all and uh, probably would take good applicants that are actually reading it away because they're like, oh, I might not fit that but they do have totally. that core discipline. So you know, how can we break down that relationship between uh, you know, your HR team or your talent acquisition team, or your talent acquisition partner, and then post things that are actually going to be progressive and actually help un- people understand as they're reading through, okay, this is what they need. You know, I have that or, or whatnot. Uh, so I can explain how we handle it. I mean, you know, the 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 job description is something that is like an, an internal tool to say this is what this person does, and this is you know roughly the type of experience and skills that they need to have to be successful. So that is actually created internally. When it gets to us, when it gets to the recruiting team, we take that, we take any kind of previous knowledge, and we go and we sit down. We have what we call an intake call, intake session, whatever with the hiring manager it's a you know set kind of form if you will template to kind of go through and ask you know tell me what this position is solving what problem is this position solving for us for duo or for a customer 
And that has been like a major shift. Like a lot of times you get a manager will say something like, well, we have an opening. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> what we're actually talking about is like, what is this person going to be working on? So we, we distill it down to the simple, the simple kind of like bare minimum of like, what is this person going to be doing? And what are some things that they probably have done in the past in some capacity that is a, you know, reduces the risk of them not being able to do this. And we, as a recruiting organization, we own what goes out to the market, what is visible. And I think that allows us to be creative. It also allows us to approach it like that advertisement, break it down to the kind of the simple, this is what you're going to be working on. And if you have this, this, and this, you'll probably be pretty good at this. Mm-hmm. And so we just make it a lot easier. It's much more approachable to like, here's our, here's our wish list of all the things that, that we hope that you've, uh, we, you've done. Just makes it so much more of a conversation versus the, kind of that transactional, like we ha- you have to have all of this kind of stuff. And so we, we try to make it more approachable. So that's how we've kind of tackled that problem. Yeah, that, that sounds fantastic. I, I appreciate that. And that's something that I definitely try to do with uh, individuals that I work with as well. Uh, you're going back to your piece about candidates or, or consumers. When you look at a job description and, and you almost get a little bit defensive from it. And I feel like that's what you do when you have a laundry list of requirements. The candidate starts to totally. second guess themselves am I a good fit for this team? Am I a good fit from a technical perspective? Do I provide all these things? And then you might have a really awesome candidate that looks at it and says, ah, I'm not sure. Um, again, because it's almost self-serving from the you know company side versus you know, where we need to be, which is we need to market and we need to grow and we need to have people banging down the door because they're excited for us. And, and you know, we, we tend to scare them away sometimes. And not to mention that we know do not apply to roles that they feel unqualified for. So they look to fill more of the the qualifications that are listed than men. Men will look at it and go like, yeah, I can do that. And they'll just apply. Sure. Oh, that, you know, having uh, these kind of really detailed descriptions with a laundry list of qualifications will decrease the number of women that apply. And, mm. and we should all care about diversity in, in the workplace because diversity of thought leads to higher, higher results. It leads to diversity of kind of like input and perspective, and it just provides a much better experience for everybody involved. It's the right thing to do. It's the you know, inclusive and right thing to do. So, so anyways, that's another, that's kind of another downside to uh, writing a laundry list type of, type of job description. It, it reduces your potential to, to bring in diversity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, you know, in, in that same vein, now looking at the actual interview process after we've gotten uh, you know a, a good individual in front of us, you know, one thing from the agency side, vendor side, that we try to do, and, and you know, what has led to a lot of our success is to, you know, again feel like, hey, Mister, Mrs. Candidate, you don't have to be here. You're doing this because you want to be, and it could potentially be a uh, move in your career in the right direction. When you're looking at a, a you know, switching roles to a new company, you know, during that interview process, you're not attached to that company's mission yet. When you sign that employment agreement, yes, you are, but we need to sell you on that. We need to get you excited about it. We need to get the opportunity in front of you and you present it in a, in a light that shows, Hey, this is a great step for your career, Mr. And Mrs. Candidate. So you know, from your perspective and, and 
you know, I guess an internal perspective, do you think that it is the hiring managers or recruiting uh, team's job for an internal company to sell a candidate or pitch an opportunity or a role to a candidate? So it's, it's everybody's job. And, and it starts kind of, I'll, I'll circle back, I, I promise, but it starts with the employer branding side of things. So going back to, you know, a, a candidate as consumer, the more they know before they engage in the interview process, the, the further ahead you are, right? So having the employer branding side of things, hoping, hoping that they have seen some content, they have a good idea of who you are likely, right? So this is, when they interview, this is a, more about like intimacy. Okay, you know, you know about all the stuff that is public. Now we're bringing you into the building and we want to show you what it's really like to be here. So yes, it is 100% everybody's job to sell the candidate and sell the opportunity. Now this isn't like a used car type of type of salesmanship or salespersonship, right? This is more like here are the bad things, right? Like here's here's what's not going well. We need we need somebody like you because we have this problem or this challenge or this obstacle or whatever. And so once we bring somebody in, I think I think the, the, the reality is the employer branding stuff is, is all about saying, here's all the great stuff that's going on. Here is, here's what it's like to work here. Here's what our culture is like. Here's, our, here's what we care about. Here's our investments, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When somebody comes on site, it's really about telling them that all that stuff is true and we're going to show it to you. But what we really want you to know about is what are the interesting problems that you're going to be working on? Who are the people you're going to be interacting with? Because they're good people who are interested in solving these problems too. And here's the reality of what you're going to be kind of tasked to do. And so I think that like that being real is what sells people. Because if you're if you're coming in and people are just, it's all roses, that's not realistic. That's not true. That's not a true depiction of what's going on. So I think part of the salesmanship is, is just really explaining the problems uh, this person is going to be facing, the interesting problems, the interesting projects, uh, some of those elements. Sure. Yeah. So does the recruiting arm and the hiring team need to work together to you know, sell effectively? And I guess where I'm coming from with this is every individual is different and what they like and what they don't like are you know, going to be different, what their future career goals are going to be different. So is it important to have a flow of communication between the hiring team and recruiting arm as you discover more and more about a candidate? Totally. And so we look at it as kind of an investment strategy. It's an investment in trust on both sides. So as you kind of engage with somebody, you, you hope that the investment level that you're putting into the person, but also the trust that you're building should, should kind of go up uh, linearly, uh, you know, up and to the right. So when we, when we start a conversation, you know, my, my conversations when I, was, when I was recruiting full-time, my first thing I do is, is allow the candidate to ask me questions. And this, the first questions that I ask are, what's going on with you currently? You know, what has you kind of curious? And it's important things for you in a new career opportunity. And it helps me frame the conversation. It helps me better understand uh, what that person's all about. And, and, and that's part of, again, candidates being consumers, a product to meet your needs, right? Like there's no, there's no one way to sell a product to kind of interest somebody in, in your brand. You want it to speak to them in a very individual way. And, and it's the same thing. You can have a role that person for reason A and extremely interesting to another person for reason B. 
and and both are true. So it's just a matter of like really understanding the the candidate as as a, an individual who has individual needs and, and characteristics. So when you talk about like coordination, absolutely. Each person kind of has a different perspective on things and also has a different specialization. So the recruiter can kind of share sort of the big company vision, more of like, you know, here's where we're going as an organization. You know, they can kind of talk about some of the, the higher level stuff. As they interact with the team, it's important for the hiring manager and you know, other members of the team and the peers that the person is going to be working with to share some of the things that they care about and how it relates to what the candidate cares about. So yeah, totally. I think it's, um, it, it does require a coordinated effort. It requires a lot, of, uh, a lot of collaboration and coordination from the recruiting group to know the candidate and sort of be the agent for, uh, for the candidate and make sure that they're sharing that information with everybody um, the candidate's meeting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, just real quick, want to understand, I guess, from the, the actual candidates side of the house as well. Let's say that yeah. they, you're, they're really interested in a brand. They're really interested in a company. You're dying to work with them. How do, can they effectively you know, work with the right individuals to understand how they could potentially be an effective member of the team as they wait for that ideal position to put up for them? Yeah. So if I'm understanding, you're, you're essentially saying like as a candidate, what sort of activities should, should they, what should they be doing to kind of better understand the, the opportunity, right? Yeah. 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 So I, I mean, in the same way, an organizational perspective, we need to have a lot of information and data available for candidates to research on their own. So it's out there, it's public, they can find out they can find out what it's like to be, you know, be a duo not. As a candidate, it's really important to A, like seek out that information, really find out what's public and use that as kind of a, a base. The second thing that candidates should do, and I always encourage them to do, is it's really easy to find out who the individuals are on the, on the teams that you would potentially be interested in working on, right? Like that's, that's a very easy thing to do now with LinkedIn and everything else. So what I always suggest is reach out to them. There, there doesn't need to be a role open. Reach out and ask to take somebody to coffee. It is the simplest thing in the world. I understand different personalities, and, and I'm, I'm certainly sensitive to that. You know, um, I'm actually introverted myself, and, and it's very hard to kind of put myself out there. But it's a, it's a really valuable tool because what you, what you do is you're sitting down with somebody who is on the team that you want to be on, and you can really learn about what's going on. Uh, so before fully engaging, you can kind of like get to know somebody. And the great thing is if that goes well, you also have somebody who uh, on the team who can go back and say, yeah, I had coffee with this person and it was a great conversation. They're, you know, they're really sharp. They've got a lot of great perspectives on some of the problems that we're facing. Uh, and I think we should talk to them. So, so it works in both ways. So I always encourage like, like find out who the people are that you're going to be working with and ask them to coffee or lunch. Like it's a, it's a super easy thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I guess any other tips from a candidate perspective to uh, you allow them to be a smart consumer in the job market? Yeah, yeah. Realize that that's a very it's a high investment activity. Um, you, you think about it, you're probably meeting with six, seven, eight people, call it 45 minutes to an hour a piece. You know, so it's a full day of interviewing people in time. 
And this is also after having several other conversations previous to that. So, so it's a high investment activity. So it's always important to, to really come prepared with specific questions for the individuals. I, I would encourage you to find out who you're going to be interviewing with, look at their background, look at, uh, look at their position, find out more about what their role is and really ask some specific questions related to that. I think that, you know, it needs to be interviews need to be conversations and you need to go into an interview. Really, you're interviewing the company as well. And I know that's cliche. Everybody says it, but it's true. So it's not just about kind of like show, showcasing your skill and what you can bring to the table and your value, but it's also really look at it as, as, as how is this company going to fit into my career? When I look back and I'm sort of crafting and building my career, you know, how is this company, how is this role going to help me kind of achieve the goals that I want to achieve? Uh, so mm-hmm. take it seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, last question, and then we'll get into underrated, overrated. A lot of the things that we've been talking about go back to a core of how a company functions and what they actually you think is, is important. Obviously, with Duo, culture is huge. That really seems to be the thing that uh, from start to finish shines through this entire process and why it makes you guys different, why you've been able to bring on 200 security professionals in the last year. Specifically in the security area, why is it so important? You know, I, I think culture culture is something that you cannot, you can, you can foster it. You can't build it, right? Like it, it, culture is a sort of a manifestation of the people that you hire. You can foster certain cultures of like predetermined, like this is the culture we're going to have and I'm going to drive this down. And I think, I think for a lot of leaders, that is, that is, uh, that's why culture is, is kind of this like soft, squishy thing that drives people nuts. And I think in the security space, it is, a very competitive, fear-driven type of domain. And that tends to kind of have certain individuals join those organizations who have certain mindsets, right? So if you're in security, you're, you can't help but be a little bit of, par- you know, a little bit paranoid about everything all the time, right? Because everything's out to kind of get you. And, and I think for us, building a security organization and a company where openness and transparency and putting people first and all of this kind of stuff, it was a conscious choice that, you know, Doug and Jono made when they started the organization. What they did is they said, this is the type of company that we want. Therefore, we need to hire this type of individual. Our hiring is incredibly challenging because you can have amazing, you can have an amazing skill set, you can have great experience, but quite frankly, if you're, if you're an asshole, you know, you're not going to be here. And that can be challenging because a lot of times, not saying there are a bunch of assholes out there, there I think people are mostly good people, but it, it, it's a real challenge for us to hire because you have to be so much more kind of all-encompassing. You have to be a really well-rounded individual. But as a result, we end up with this great culture where people matter and we can have open, uh, honest conversations about things. And we learn together and, and all the other values that we've got. And, and it's worth it in the end. It's absolutely worth it. This has been the most incredible place I've ever worked. I, I wrote a blog. I have a, a personal experience on LinkedIn. So anybody can read that if they'd like. But I can tell you that it's, it's real uh, and, it's, and it's pretty special. Um, so anyways, it goes back to, I think, the, the people that, that you hire because 
you can only build a culture by allowing the kind of people to, to you know, you can only foster it, basically. You can't really choose a direction for your culture. Um, and it all starts with hiring. Yep. Okay. Well, let's hop into overrated, underrated. Got a couple of quick ones here for you. And then um, we'll, we'll let you go. So let's kick things off first with a spicy one. Hiring non-traditional talent for security roles, overrated or underrated? No, I, I think it's I think it's underrated. Yeah, I mean, we need to we need to be doing that. We need to we need to invest in people. There are a lot of really smart people who uh, don't have a security background, but they've got all the skill and they've got all the intellect. And if we invest in them, uh, I think we help everybody. Yep, absolutely. So this one is um, not as broad as it sounds specific to security roles and being successful in a technology organization uh college degrees overrated or underrated overrated i um i i love uh education i think it's great but there are non-traditional ways to to get um to get the the right skill set i think there are i think there are going to be more ways and kind of going back to my my point about uh investment i think uh, i think companies should start investing a little bit more in developing, uh, developing people, a la kind of apprenticeships and some of those elements. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Last one, and then we'll we'll let you go. Any sort of test to judge technical abilities as a step in the interview process, overrated or underrated? Mm-hmm. So this one, this one's kind of tough. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say underrated. And the only reason I'm going to say underrated is because uh, it, if, if let's, let's put it this way, if you didn't look at somebody's profile and if you just put a problem out there and said, anybody who can solve this problem gets an interview with us, I think it would break down a lot of the barriers, the traditional barriers of like education, specific backgrounds, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it would just allow smart problem solvers to, um, to showcase their skills. Sure. Okay. Now, what what step? How far along in the process do you think that that's most effective? Sounds like very well, very beginning. Potentially. Yeah, I mean, it it depends. Like, I think there are multiple, like like all things marketing, right? Like, there should be multiple channels. I think if you're in the interview process, it should be after you know a phone call uh, with a recruiter, potentially after a phone call with the hiring manager. But I also think you should just have a problem out there on your website that says, uh, "Hey, if you can solve this." you will get an interview, you know, if you're mm-hmm. interested. And so again, you can have like multiple channels for these things. So you can have kind of the more traditional route, but you can also have just like, if you're a smart person who's interested in working here and solving this problem, like go for it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that technique. That sounds, that sounds interesting. I'm interested from listeners perspective, anyone out there that's in the job hunt, would you like to see a test? Would you like to do some sort of test as the way to, to get potentially get an interview? Let us know. Definitely curious. Well, great. Hey, Travis, thanks so much. Really appreciate your time. Great insight. You Hopefully everybody got uh, you got some good thoughts and you know, one step at a time. If it's only one person at a time or, or many, many more, hopefully the, uh, the ideals that we've shared are going to be able to shake up the industry bit by bit. Yeah, man. Thanks for the time. I really appreciate it. We want to thank everyone for listening to today's podcast brought to you by Nexus IT Group. If you're looking for a new career challenge, let's chat. If you're looking to hire new talent, reach out. Or if you just want to talk about cybersecurity, email us at info at nexusitgroup.com. Until next time, stay safe and stay secure.